you, you want to start? Okay. Uh, so for today's Sunday School, uh, we're going through Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, Chapter 1, Section 2. Um, we're, we've been going through the confession, uh, we're planning to go through the entire Confession of Faith. Uh, we just recently started. Uh, we talked about the, the authority of Scripture in Chapter 1, Section 1. Um, and so today we're just going to be going into the next section. Let me read the Confession of Faith and then I'll, I'll make a couple of points about um, about what it says. Um, so this is how this is what the uh, how it reads. Under the name of Holy Scripture or the Word of God written are now contained all the books of the Old and New Testament, which are these of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Songs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Of the New Testament, the Gospels according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Acts of the Apostles, Paul's Epistles to the Romans, Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, First and Second Thessalonians, Timothy, First and Second Timothy, to Titus, Philemon, the Epistle to the Hebrews, the Epistle of James, the first and second epistles of Peter, the first, second, third epistles of John, the epistle of Jude, and Revelation, all which are given by inspiration of God to be the rule of faith and life. All right, so here the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 1, section 2. I just go through the, the 66 books of... Um, 66? Yeah, 66 books of the Bible um, as they are given to us uh, in Scripture. Pretty straightforward. The thing we're going to talk about today is um, how do we know it's just these books and not more? Uh, which is a, a point of contention in not just today's secular world, but also in today's some denominations or some churches. For example, the Catholic Church, right, the Catholic Church has more, right, in their scripture. Um, many years ago, there was a movie that came out, The Da Vinci Code, that basically capitalized, or a book first and then the movie, which basically capitalized on this narrative and turned it into this gigantic conspiracy theory. Is Isaac, can I interrupt? Sure, Rod, go ahead. I think, Mark, maybe you can it's part of scripture. And not just that, uh, but also uh, several years ago with the Da Vinci Code popularizing this narrative or this conspiracy theory that there were these Gnostic Gospels that talked about the, the children and the family of Jesus that the church had to suppress 
right? So there was this big, you know, allegedly there was this big conspiracy throughout the history of the church. We've got to suppress this idea that Jesus had a bloodline because if Jesus had a bloodline, then he didn't really, you know, he wasn't really the Jesus of scripture. Um, yeah. So, so we're going to ask the question, how do we know that these books that are listed here are the books of scripture and none others? More pointedly, we're going to ask the question, how do we know the New Testament books are the ones that are uh, part of scripture? These 27 New Testament books. Um, because by the time of Jesus, by the time, you know, Jesus opened the scrolls, right? And read from, uh, you know, Isaiah and other places. Uh, by the time of Jesus, the Old Testament was pretty much set. People knew what the books of the Old Testament were, okay? Um, but it's the New Testament that's really under scrutiny or under doubt by um by uh just the world i'm not and i'm not just talking about non-christians i'm talking about people who profess to be christians i'm not just talking about lay people these are scholars and lay people both in and outside of church they have this narrative and basically the the narrative goes like this was that the new testament was written by a bunch of folks who who love jesus they were followers of jesus they love jesus after Jesus died and you know went back to heaven, they they because they loved Jesus so much, they decided to write some recollections down or some memories or some reflections of Jesus down, um, which over time, eventually people started to say, "Wow, you know these books, for example, the Gospel of Matthew or Mark, Luke, you know the letters of you know these uh, apostles. Wow, these are really." interesting they're really worth keeping around and so the church had these councils and um these conferences that 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 you know that had these collections of books and they picked okay this is in this is not in this is in this is not in and so over time the church decided what books were um part of scripture that's the narrative uh, is that it kind of the 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 canonicity that's what we call this issue, the canonicity of the New Testament books was determined gradually over time by the church. A couple of problems with this idea. Uh, the main one being it leaves room for gigantic conspiracy theories, right? If it's the church many years later, hundreds of years later, that decided which books were part of the New Testament, then what was their criteria? Could there have been ulterior motives? Right? Were they trying to suppress certain viewpoints? Okay? Uh, for example, uh, maybe they were trying to suppress a certain theological teaching. Maybe justification by faith and works. And the church said, no, we can't have that. And so at one of their councils, they decided, okay, we're going to get rid of all the other books that, that you know, that. Are, are, are not talking about justification by faith alone or about the the uh, uh, maybe um, about the, the the deity the full deity of Jesus right the full deity of Christ right that was that was the conspiracy theory that was brought out by the the, the da Vinci code was that some of the Gnostic Gospels made Jesus too human and so they got rid of those things. Um, and, and so they only kept the, the, the gospels, uh, the, 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 the ones that made Jesus to be 
fully gone. Um, the idea is that the idea for that narrative is that when the New Testament gospel writers, whether when the New Testament writers wrote their letters or wrote their gospels, they were not conscious conscious that that they were writing scripture. That these were just people who loved Jesus a lot. They were just writing in their journals or writing letters, and they just decided to share it with other people. And that these people, like Paul, Peter, Matthew, John, Mark, etc., that these people were not consciously writing scripture. That they did not know that they were actually giving people the word of God. Okay, and that it was decided that these were authoritative word of God later on by churches. Um, we're going to look at scripture at a couple of verses to show that the New Testament writers knew that they were writing scripture. Okay, they knew they were writing scripture. Now, no, none of the New Testament writers actually come out in their own letters saying, you know, I'm writing scripture to you. Okay, they don't use that phrase, but they will use very similar phrases basically to say that their authority is the word of God or is the commandment of God. And if you break, if you disagree with or you break some of the commands or some of the teachings in their letters, basically that's tantamount to you are breaking the commandment of God or the word of God. Um, okay, so the first thing, let's take a look at Paul, Paul's letters. Uh, Galatians chapter 1. Verse 1, where Paul says, Paul, so he's writing to the Galatian church, the Galatian church, which is uh, fallen away from his teaching about justification by faith alone. Uh, and this is how Paul begins. Paul begins by reminding the Galatians of not just of his apostolic authority, that the fact that he's an apostle, but he reminds them of how he became an apostle, okay? Uh, Galatians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God, the Father, who raised him from the dead. Here, Paul is saying, look, I became an apostle. And remember, like when, when the Bible uses that word apostle, that's, that's a, you know, that's not just a, a person who was with Jesus and an eyewitness of Jesus, but this is a person that Jesus gave the authority. Remember in Acts, Jesus gave these apostles authority to teach his teachings. So whatever the apostles says, Jesus gave them authority to be like, you know, whatever the apostles teach is the teaching of Christ. And that is why in Acts, uh, when the apostles taught, God... Jesus also gave them the authority to do great miracles. We talked about that last week or the last time we had Sunday school, right? The purpose of miracles was uh, to confirm that these apostles' teachings were from God because the power, the miracles, the healings also was from God. Okay, so when Paul says he's an apostle, he's saying it in that sense. You know, he's he's authoritative. He's a He's a... Uh, he's someone that God gave the authority to, to teach the word of God. Um, but it's interesting that Paul also says he became an apostle, not through man. 
you know, it wasn't like somebody, one of the existing apostles, laid hands on him and, you know, made him an apostle. He's saying he, he became an apostle directly from Jesus, the risen Jesus, from God, kind of like a prophet. You know, and we know in Old Testament, in the Old Testament, that when a prophet spoke, it wasn't just Isaiah's words or Jeremiah's words. It was the word of God. Okay, so Paul is putting himself up on that same level. Okay, to, 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 to distinguish when we preach from this pulpit. Okay, uh, we're preaching the word of God, but I am not speaking as the word of God. You understand? Like, like my, you know, we are expounding the word of God, but I make errors and you're supposed to check me. You're not supposed to take my words verbatim as the word of God. Okay, because I make mistakes and you're supposed to be good brains. You're supposed to, you know, check my words against scriptures and scripture has higher authority than me. Okay, we're not on equal authority. This is not what Paul's saying here. Paul is saying he's an apostle from Jesus Christ which means his words are God's words. It's the same authority. Okay, so Paul was conscious that he was writing the words of God. Uh, same chapter, Galatians 1, verses 11 to 12. Paul says this, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there Paul is saying his teachings are not, he didn't learn, you know, this, this theology that he's writing in Galatians or Romans or, you know, in other letters. He's not, he didn't go to seminary. He didn't learn from another professor. He didn't learn from another, he didn't learn this theology from another man. It wasn't passed down to him. He got it directly as a, through a direct revelation from Jesus Christ. So, so he's putting himself on par with the Old Testament prophets who received their revelation directly from God. And so his words are the word of God. Um, as opposed to, you know, later on when we preach today's sermon, my words are my most faithful attempt to interpret faithfully the word of God, which I might fail at, right? Because I'm a sinner and you're supposed to check me, right? And the Holy Spirit will guard all of this and, 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 and inspire us and, and help us, illumine us to the word of God, right? But I am under authority of the word of God. My words are not on the same level as the word of God, Paula. Oh, I just want to get a, a quick thing. I think you know what the word apostle in the Ah, okay. I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> that's interesting. I'm not sure that's how that works, but interesting. First uh, Thessalonians 2.13. First uh, Thessalonians 2.13. And again, as we read this verse, no preacher today would be caught red-handed using the same words to talk about their own preaching. Okay, uh, this is what uh, Paul writes to the Thessalonians. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, 
you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Here, Paul compares his message and his word to the word of God. He makes a direct equation between his word, his message, to the word of God. And he even specifies that it's not the word of men, but it's the word of God. Okay? And again, you know, no sane preacher today would be caught making that statement, saying, every single word I say is the word of God. Right? Rather, we're trying to faithfully explain the word of God, sitting underneath the word of God. Right? If I, if anybody gets up in any church service today and says, my words are the word of God. Thank, thank, you know, thank goodness you receive it as the word of God. You know, don't listen to that guy. That's, that's a heretic and you should run away from that church. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Um, several years ago, there was a, uh, in a, Broadly evangelical church, there was a mega church, there was a pastor who basically was involved in some kind of shady financial dealings in his church. And, and there was a meeting with him and the elders. And basically he had coerced, he, he had gotten rid of the elders who were against him. And he had coerced the other elders to stand with him. And basically one of the elders stood up in that congregation meeting and said, whenever pastor this and the elders agree, we are speaking the words of God. The new, like that is totally wrong. Okay. Because they're still humans and they're still sinful and they still, they still make mistakes. They, their, their words, even if they agree are not authoritative as the word of God. Okay. But here Paul speaks in this way because he's inspired by the Holy spirit and he sees himself, his words as the word of God. There's a difference. Okay. First Corinthians 14. We'll run through these examples. First Corinthians 14, 37 to 38. Here, Paul says, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. <laughs> You know, if I wrote that in my sermon, right? The things Pastor Isaac writes today in his sermons are on the are the commandments of the Lord. No, right? I would be a heretic, okay? But Paul says, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, which in the Corinthian church, many people thought they were prophets and many people thought they were very spiritual, Paul says, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. If anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Basically, him flipping it around and saying, if you deny that my words are the commandment of the Lord, then you are ignorant. <laughs> you are not a prophet and you are not a, you're not spiritual. Okay, again, uh, no pastor, no preacher today worth his salt would make that kind of statement uh, to to, to equate his own words with the word of God. But yet here, Paul does. How about Matthew? So we've gone through Paul, several examples of Paul. Matthew, some of the gospels. Those of you who know the gospel of Matthew know that in Matthew chapter one, Matthew begins with what? 
a genealogy, a genealogy going back to Abraham. Um, correct? Yes. Right. You know, we might look at that in our day today and and miss the the the, the impact of that for for first century Christian who also knew his Old Testament scripture. You would know that the reason Matthew does this at the very beginning of his gospel is to say that everything I'm writing afterwards is a continuation of that Old Testament biblical story. Okay, everything I'm writing is just a continuation of Genesis, Exodus, and so on, so forth, so forth. That history, that covenantal history between God and his people. Okay, so so Matthew, in not in, in so many words, he's he's equating his gospel with um continuing to write scripture. I'm continuing to write that Old Testament story that's ultimately going to find fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Okay? Uh, we do not preach like that. <laughs> Saying, you know, today's sermon is the second chapter, you know, the second part of Revelation. <laughs> okay, we don't do that. Okay, but Matthew does with his gospel. Luke does with his gospel, right? He traces it all the way back to Adam. In fact, Luke does something more. If you look at Luke 1, Luke 1, verse 1, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. So Luke is basically gathering accounts of Jesus and, and trying to put them down, write them down in an orderly manner. Okay? But notice that in verse 2, when Luke says that he, his sources were those who were eyewitnesses from the beginning. Basically, he's saying he's getting his sources from the apostles. These are apostles, not just some random, you know, blue-collar Joe who's out, you know, on the street corner and sees Jesus passing by. And then later on, Luke comes around and asks him, okay, what, what, what was your experience of Jesus? Okay, when, when he says that he collected... His data from those who were eyewitnesses of Jesus from the beginning. He's talking about the apostles. Okay, so so even though Luke himself is not an apostle, right? Paul's an apostle. Matthew's an apostle. John's an apostle. Peter's an apostle. Luke is not an apostle, but his content is apostolic, right? His writing is apostolic because his data is from the apostles. And of course, we know that Luke also went along with the apostles, right? He was with Paul, right? During a lot of his missionary journeys. Um, and the same thing with Acts. And we'll end with this. Um, obviously, we know John. We know John when he wrote Revelation. He has that part in the end where he equates it to Scripture. If anyone adds or subtracts to this letter, right? Let him be accursed, okay? Um John's also got this part in his gospel at the very end. Where John says, uh, John 21, verse 24, about himself. This is the disciple who testified. This is, you okay? Yeah, it's heavy. All right. 
this is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Okay, that's a high statement for somebody writing a letter. That his testimony is true. Everything that he writes in here is true. There's no flaw. There's no mistake. And again, you know, no preacher, no pastor worth his salt would say that about their sermons or their writings or their books today. That everything that, you know, <laughs> that everything that you're going to hear from today's sermon is going to be 100% flawless, infallible, true. Okay? Because we're not. We're, we're, we're sinful human beings and we're supposed to be judged under the authority of Scripture. But not John. John, when he writes the gospel, he says, everything in here is true. It's infallible. So, all that to say, the scripture, especially the, the, the New Testament books, the New Testament authors, when they wrote the New Testament, they were conscious of the fact that they were writing scripture. They were conscious of the fact that the authority of their words was on par with the other parts of scripture. It was God's word. And all the church did afterwards in the Varian councils, when they said this book is in and this book is out, all the church did was they deciphered that. And they said, which books write about themselves as or with apostolic authority and which books don't? Okay, which books are or have that apostolic authority as the word of God and which books do not? And that's all the church did later on in these councils was they, they, they sifted out the books that had the apostolic authority and then they left out the books that, that did not. Okay? Um, so that's how we get the 66 books of the uh, Old Testament and New Testament. Any questions about? I was going to say that Peter Yes. Yes. Yes, he does. Yes. Yeah. Jewish scholars rejected the Apocrypha, which were all books mm -hmm. written hundreds of years before Jesus. Yeah. As not being historical right. or theologically accurate. Right. Yes. I think it's also important to point out that the apostles were the ones who wrote the New Testament were authoritative and absolute and found while they were writing the scriptures. Not all of their other things were Sure. The reason I said that is because there are people today who feel that everything that Paul said throughout his whole life was absolutely the word of God. No point to the thing where he had this dispute with um, uh, John Mark about. Okay. He didn't want to go along and he'd give the answer. And he said, well, that's authoritative for God. And Paul was speaking uh, the judgment of God upon Okay, I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm failing to catch. What, what's the point? Okay. He's saying that um, when Paul rejected taking John Mark on the second missionary right. trip, yeah, it doesn't mean that his judgment was infallible in that instance. Oh, 
Sure. Yeah, yeah. We're not saying Paul is sinless. Obviously, before Damascus, he sinned a lot, <laughs> right? And obviously, Peter sinned a lot, right? Especially on that night. Okay. And everybody else is a sinner, except for Jesus, right? And they 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 were they're they're still sinners, justified by grace alone through faith alone to the day they die. Okay. Paul did not become holy. On, on, you know, perfect sinless holiness, perfect righteousness on the road to Damascus. Neither did Peter or John or anybody else, right? They're still sinners, right? Um, and not, not, not just about that decision to, to, to leave John Mark behind. Although scripture does not say that that was a wrong decision. Okay. You know, Luke just writes that as a point of fact. You know, the scripture gives no commentary as to whether that decision was made out of sinfulness or righteousness. Okay, so I don't know about that specific point, but on the general point, yes, none of the apostles were perfect human beings with perfect righteousness, just like none of us are, only Jesus is. Okay, but as it says in Peter, when men wrote scripture, including the New Testament writers, the Holy Spirit bore them along, right? The Holy Spirit carried them. So that what they wrote was not out of man's interpretation, but from God. Right, and that's very clear in, in, in Peter. Yes. And now we know that that isn't just referring to Old Testament writers and prophets, that's also referring to New Testament apostles and writers because they themselves were conscious of the fact that they were writing with authority, the same authority as the Word of God, so that if you disagreed with Paul, you were disagreeing with God. And there's a tangential issue here too, I think, which is loosely connected, where you see churches today, so-called Christian churches, that are saying, because Paul at certain places says, this I write by permission, not by commandment, therefore it's not authoritative. And they, they start applying that to other things they disagree with Paul about. It's a slippery slope, yeah. Right. And I say, Paul simply said that about two items in scripture, they both start applying it to other issues too. Yeah, which will become very relevant in today's sermon, because we're going to talk about a very thorny, thorny, thorny <laughs> a thorny passage today, right? Where basically the very first counterpoint people make against today's scripture passage is, well, Paul is a man trapped in his own time and he's, you know, it's not authoritative. Okay, we'll just leave that for the sermon. Okay.